Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Stephen James. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of, uh, most recently, The Burning Wire, and uh, soon to be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest tonight is Stephen James author of The Night, the third book in a series featuring FBI agent Patrick Bowers. Stephen, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure, sure. Well, Stephen, if someone is not familiar with your writing and hasn't read The Night, can you describe The Night for them? What can they expect with the book? Yeah, the, um, the, the character I write about, Patrick Bowers, is um, an FBI agent who tracks serial offenders or arsonists um, uh, serial murderers and, and serial killers, uh, uh, things like that. But he doesn't look for means, motive, or opportunity. He hates profiling and has nothing to do with DNA evidence. Um, and so he's unique, different from all these other guys. He uses what's called geospatial investigative techniques, which is it's really this 21st century way of analyzing timing, location, and progression of crimes. And so um, in, in this in, in this book, he is uh, tracking a killer in the Denver area who's actually basing his crimes on an ancient manuscript. And uh, when Bowers discovers this, he realizes that he's got to stop stop the crime, especially before the last crime, which is a really, really grisly murder. So it's a pretty intense, fast-paced um, psychological uh, thriller and, uh, and also police procedural in a way because he does analyze all these crimes and then solve them with this new technique that he uses. Sure. You, you just described the geographic profiling. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more. And, and how is that used in, in real life uh, criminal investigations? And, and more specifically, how did you get interested in it to, to use it for the book? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, it's really fascinating. Uh, people form cognitive maps of the areas they live in so that if I asked you to, you know, to draw a map of whatever city you live in, you, you could do it, but it would be skewed toward the areas you're most familiar with. Uh, and you would probably leave certain parts of the city out because you, you never go there. Well, it's, everybody thinks that way, including killers. And so if you have a number of bodies or abductions or um, murder uh, sites, by analyzing those and looking at the travel patterns of the victims, you can then form a likely cognitive map for the killer and work backwards to, to locate the most likely home base of where he is, uh, he is leaving from to commit his crimes. Um, and so uh, when I was researching uh, the first book a few years ago called The Pawn, I was doing all this reading on profiling and DNA and everything, and I was like, everything's been, all this stuff's been done before. Sure. And you got CSI, you got the criminal minds, everything, it's just like it's all there. And, uh, and then I stumbled across this um, where uh, they referenced geographic profiling and geospatial stuff. And I thought, what? what is that? sounds fascinating. So I ended up consulting with the world's leading geographic profiler and then doing quite a bit of research on and all of the, these aspects of the in, environmental criminology is really what it's based on. And I'm uh, developing this character who uh, has this completely unique 
approach. And it was neat because um, I have a uh, DEA agent I consult with, and he read you know, the first book, and he said, how did you find this out? Only someone in the business would know this, because <laughs> right now the DEA, the FBI, um, in some cases, um, you know, um, CIA, uh, they're using this in not only in intelligence gathering, but also law enforcement. And uh, so it's pretty exciting to have a series that's um, kind of right there on the cusp of what's happening in, uh, in law enforcement, uh, right at the cutting edge of stuff. Sure. You, you mentioned that you consulted with the the leading expert. I'm I'm curious. How did you do your research? Were you were you you know reading uh, were you reading journal articles or or the the reference materials out there? Or did you actually were you able to convince someone to to go out in the field and 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 kind of you know get some insight that way? Well, I I, I did speak with um, like I said, DEA agent, FBI agent, um, this guy who uh, developed the whole technique. And then read tons of journal articles and some books. And uh, there's a researcher in England who's also has a few books out there. And I started to read his stuff and and I just tried to piece it together with theoretical underpinnings of this whole approach. And um, and so it, it's fun because it creates this character who is he's kind of really Sherlock Holmesian sort of smart and but also he's right in the middle of the action. So. Somebody once uh, in a re- in <laughs> in a review they said he seems like Sherlock Holmes meets uh, Jack Bauer from uh, Twenty Four, and I'm like, good, that sounds perfect. <laughs> that's sort of what I'm shooting for, right? And yeah. do do you have a sense in in real life from from the research that you've done? Are 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 more investigative agencies starting to consider and 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 um, you know consider this type of profiling? They are, and and really the, the whole idea is you do need a number of locations to work from. If you only have two or three locations, your data is, is really sparse. You don't have enough to work from. But if you have, sometimes they'll say if you have 12 or more locations to work from, you can be up to 97% accurate in calculating where the most likely home base of the killer is. So there are a lot of factors that go into it. But um, but uh, in the night, uh, you know, Patrick Bowers really analyzes uh, all of these crimes that he has, and he has quite a few um, locations because of this crime spree that he's he's investigating, and uh, and then has to uh, try and find out who the, who the killer is, and uh, it's it's kind of a fun ride because it ends up being someone that most readers don't don't expect. Right, right. Well, that's great. Uh, well, yeah. to, to to change the direction a little bit, I, I know from researching for this interview that that you consider yourself a Christian, and you even mentioned in an interview that I read that that you were sometimes dismayed when people criticized your you know commercial thrillers as not being Christian enough. I, I'm sure you've probably given it some thought, but I, I wonder why do you feel like there's this pressure by by certain people that that if you are a Christian, that every piece of art or work of creativity that a Christian produces has to have an overt religious message or a theme. And, 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 <laughs> no, I, and I, 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 yeah, to be honest good. with you, in, in full disclosure, I, I say that as someone who I consider myself basically non-religious. I grew up in the South, and, and I'm kind of a recovering Baptist, as I like to joke. But, but no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious in, in, in a, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, uh, you know, 
I think a lot of people really want to be careful that they don't offend people, and so they do have a message they really believe in, and they, they want to share it. And um, I think that most agenda-driven fiction, whether it's to promote a Christian worldview or a, um, like a gay lesbian fiction or whatever it is, usually falters. Because as soon as we start reading something and we're like, okay, I get it, you want someone to trust in Jesus, all right, then the book usually doesn't have as great a story. Or I get it, you want gay marriage to be legalized, what, whatever it is, whatever the agenda is. And so usually the story suffers. So when, when I write stories, my goal is to tell you know a great story that it deals with big questions, good and evil, uh, in our world, in our hearts. Um, does free will exist? What is it that makes human nature matter? Does God exist? If he does, does he care? And so in each of the books, I let a deep moral question drive the story forward. Uh, for example, in, in the night, the, the, really the question that drove the story forward is what's more important, truth or protecting the innocent? Um, so if I were asked, say, to testify at a trial uh, for a rapist because I saw, like I was an eyewitness or something, but I didn't quite have enough evidence to really convince the jury, but I knew he was guilty. Um, and if he was let free, he would rape my daughter. Well, what do I do? Do you tell the truth and hope that he'll end up behind bars? Or, um, or well, probably will, will get set free. Or do you lie in order to protect the innocent? What's more important, truth or, or justice? And so by letting these moral dilemmas drive the stories, they're, they're not they're not a, by any means sermons in disguise. Sure. But, sure. Um, yeah. And then uh, I think that, you know, when we write, our goal should be to tell the truth about the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that means being honest about evil. Uh, a lot of books glamorize evil. Mm -hmm. They almost make it seem attractive. And that's not something I want to do. Right. If I'm writing about a killer in my book or, or someone committing suicide or something like that, I don't want it to seem glamorous. Uh, I want it to seem disturbing. Right. Um, because if once you start talking to cops or EMTs or soldiers, and you hear what they've seen, or you, you, them describe some of the you know, bodies and so on, it is disturbing, and that's the world we live in. But it's also a world where grace and beauty uh, and wonder are, are present as well. So we live in this paradoxical world of, of terrible grief and evil and also amazing grace and wonder and beauty and so uh really in my books i try to try to do that i don't want to mute evil and i don't want to glamorize it right and so uh yeah so i approach it in this way and some people um you know the, the expectations of some people if they read one of my books they're like well you're a christian writer and you wrote this book i thought everyone was going to get converted at the end i'm like no, it's not a lesson. It's a, it's a thriller. So <laughs> right. It's been fun, but um, what, what was what was the path of publication like for you? Did did you start writing at a young age, and what was your journey from those first attempts at writing to getting published and having mass market paperbacks of your novels piled up at the bookstore? Yeah, you know, I always like to make up stories, and it's it's a little fascinating. But uh, back in ninety six, ninety seven, I got a master's degree in storytelling. Um, and there was only one college in the world that offered it, and uh, so I came down here to Tennessee. And, um, and is that oral Tennessee storytelling? State, you know. Well, it was mainly, yes. It's, uh, I mean, but also it dealt with just story. And so for my thesis, I did some work on writing and, and telling stories, both. Um, 
And so it really got me fascinated in this aspect of story. So I started writing magazine articles from 96 to 2000, 2003 or so. I wrote uh, for 80 different uh, magazines over that time. And then 2000, 2001, I started to do some books. I did some inspirational books. And and then eventually uh, I said to my publisher, I really want to do these novels. I said, but I don't want to write novels that just are trying to be a clever way of getting a message. I just want to tell great stories that deal with big questions. They said, well, let's do it. And so we ended up with uh, The Pawn and then The Rook and The Knight, and we've kept the series going. Readers have really really gotten behind them, and The Bishop, uh, the bishop just came out uh, last month in, uh, in, in trade. So, Great. In trade paperback, so yeah. Who, who are some of the writers that inspired you along the way that you enjoy reading? Yeah, uh, I like this one author, Thomas H. Cook. I don't know if you're familiar with him yes, or not. Yes, I am. But, um, I, am. but uh, I like his work. He's a good writer. And um, and then I read, I read a lot of philosophy and poetry and and just um, just a wide variety of, of of books. A lot of times people say, "Well, what thriller writers do you read?" And I'll mention a few, and I've read a few, and I enjoy a few, but I actually try not to read too many other thriller writers because I don't want my books in any kind of way to end up mirroring the, you know, the storyline or the pace or the voice or something of another writer who's out there. So I, uh, I kind of, <laughs> I go against the grain. Everybody says you're supposed to write in the, <laughs> in the genre that you read, you know, all the time. Right. And, uh, I'm like, well, I really don't write philosophy or poetry or anything, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, I'll stick with the thrillers and, and, and try to make sure that, uh, I don't end up, you know, copying someone else's, yeah, you know, subconscious. Sure. So, so what are you what are you working on now? What, what's up next for you in terms of publication, and, and what are you writing now? Well, I'm working on the Queen, which is the fifth book in the series. And uh, again, the books don't deal with they're not chess, you know, books, but it's just a way to frame the series and and help readers kind of look forward to what the next book is going to be. So, I'm deep into the Queen. And uh, if all goes well, I'm planning to do eight books in this uh, series, and um, we are we're excited. We're in the final negotiations with one of the networks in um, in Hollywood, and uh, we are hoping that uh, within the next couple of weeks we'll get it get it figured out, and uh, hopefully we'll get a pilot in the works. And and uh, if all goes well, um, yeah, we'll pro- perhaps have a series. That's great. So, so when is the when is the Queen's schedule for publication? Well, the Queen will be out next summer, and um, probably August, I think. Um, usually, these books release August first each year. Right. So, um, so you can get, uh, you know, the Pawn, the Rook, the Knight. They're all available. Bishops and New. It's uh, it's on Amazon, and uh, keep an eye out because as soon as I can get it in, the Queen will be in the works. <laughs> so Great. We'll try to get it out. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Stephen James. He's the author of The Night, the third book in a series featuring FBI agent Patrick Bowers. That's out in paperback now and and, um, his other books as well. You can check those out and you can find out more information about Stephen at stephenjames.net. Anything else that we should ask, Stephen? Well, I appreciate the time uh, being able to share a little bit about the the books. And um, one of the things that I really like... um, about these books is that um, not only does Bowers kind of investigate these crimes, but um, we really get to t- 
take a look at his um, relationship with his stepdaughter and with some of the women in the books. And so it's been fun to really explore the multi-dimensions of this character, not just that he's a, you know, just a, a jock cop kind of a guy. But uh, he ends up being a real guy, and uh, it's just neat to see how readers relate to that, and, and some of them, uh, you know, really say, oh, I want him together with this woman and this woman, and, and, and it's almost like he becomes a real character in the readers' lives. And so that's that's been really exciting to see. Great. Well, thanks a lot. And again, you can check out Stephen James's website at stephenjames.net. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Jeff. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.